you have these feelings that you're insignificant, that the mountains don't care about you. From Wyoming Public Media, this is Human Nature, real stories where humans and our habitat meet. I'm Caroline Ballard. On this episode, we'll hear about an outdoor leadership training that quickly became a real-life scenario. Several years ago, Greg Lay was on an outdoor leadership course high in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. Really big mountains, beautiful little valleys that are full of like aspen and willows and things like that. And then higher up, it's lots of stark rocky mountains, um, snow up there, lots of snow, even though it's May. The group, about 10 students and two trainers, had been deep in the backcountry for a few days. And then Greg says the weather became... Uncertain. The weather was questionable. And then that day started to get incredible. Some of the windiest conditions I've ever been in. And that wind sets Greg's story in motion. We had had dinner as a team, and everything was already set up in our camp. And a group of people decided to go up trail just to check out this lake that was above where we were camped, not too far away, maybe a quarter mile, half a mile away. And just to put the picture in your mind, this is an alpine lake. We're at maybe nine or 10,000 feet in the Colorado mountains. It is early summer, but at night it gets very, very cold. And a few minutes later, somebody came back saying, we need you to bring the first aid kit gear. We need you to bring your tarps, sleeping bags, anything dry that you have because we found somebody. So we immediately got what we could and and rushed up there. And we had encountered this woman and she had fallen in this lake, very clearly hypothermic the range where if she didn't get help, she would have been in a really bad way. Can you maybe describe what she looked like when when you first saw her? It's funny because I don't remember her typical physical attributes, the way, you know, what her hair color was or, or anything like that. But I remember this look of, of fear and sadness and hopelessness, I don't think she expected to see anybody. The scariest part and the worst part about it is that she, yeah, she needed help, but uh, her partner needed help much more. Um, She told us that she had been canoeing in this lake She's actually a canoe instructor, I believe. And she'd been out there with her partner. The wind had capsized their canoe, and they both fell out. So she was able to swim to shore. And she told us that the last time she saw him was when he was clinging to that canoe in the lake. So we had to initiate a search for him. We really had no idea what we were going to find, if we were going to find anything. And it was really scary. It was really scary. 
Um, in those kinds of situations, there's this system called the incident command system. So it's a common emergency response method. And one of the trainers became an incident commander. We initiated a hasty search. So you can imagine it's getting dark at this point, getting difficult to see. And we wandered around the lake. And eventually we had to recognize that um, search and rescue had been called. We'd, we had a, a, a phone that was able to contact search and rescue. And there wasn't really anything more we could do other than set up camp and try to sleep next to the lake. Many of us, I don't think, slept maybe at all. A combination of the fact that we were sleeping next to a lake where we knew that someone was probably dead inside and the insane winds, really, really intense. And um, a couple of the, the trainees spent the night with this woman and it's very emotionally draining trying to talk to this person and say, we're doing what we can for you, search and rescue's on its way, but we can't find him. In the morning, I sat down next to her on this rock overlooking the lake. And um, that was the only time that I remember her really talking. She didn't say very much, but she said that she doesn't know how she's going to get over this. Like, she, she's, she recognized that she had to leave at some point, that she would have to go. Um, and, you know, she's sitting looking at the lake at this point, and she didn't know how she was supposed to leave knowing that he was still in there. It was... Um, <clears throat> I think she didn't know what to say. I think she didn't know what to do. We did a slightly more thorough search with lower expectations than the first time. Um, it's hard to imagine how he could have survived overnight if we hadn't been able to find him. There was some piece of us that was like, that, okay, maybe there's another group out here. Maybe somebody else found him. Maybe he's sitting at a camp somewhere being taken care of. Um, and, you know, we went out at the lake and uh, you've, you've never really used a nice ax in all of its possible ways until you've strapped one onto a trekking pole so that you can sort of scoop underneath the overhangs into the lake to see if you can catch something, you know. So what was going through your mind when all of that was happening when you were doing that? There were a few things. Um, on one hand, there's these feelings that and these thoughts that I really hope that I can find something. Anything that would indicate that we've got a lead on where this guy is. Um, I, I desperately want to find something, so it's very thorough. And then at the same time, there's this part of you that's thinking the whole time, I don't want to find a body in this lake. That would be horrible. 
but you do it anyway. We would find something and suddenly get very excited and hopeful. We found bits and pieces of things, except that most of the time those were our things, like a sleeping pad that had blown away or somebody's hat that had blown away in the night. And of course, we never did find him. We eventually had to move on. So there was nothing more that we could do. Search and rescue was there. They took over the medical care for this woman. We thought to ourselves, we could just stay here. We could continue this search. We could keep going and maybe find something. And it would be really important to this person if we did, to to this woman, if we could do that. And what else can we do? And we were basically, we were told, but also recognized that there's nothing else that we can do at this point. And walking away felt so, we felt guilty because it's those like could have or would have or should have kind of feelings in your head that stick around. We moved out of that camp very quietly. (laughs) We didn't have a lot to say to each other, I think, because what we didn't really know what to say. So we had a very awkward day and a half, maybe. We went up to the next area above treeline, next to another small lake. We set up camp. We tried to have some lessons and things, tried to sort of move on as if nothing had happened, but it wasn't going to work that way. One of the trainers recognized that, and he sort of put a pause to everything, and he said, okay, we need to do something about this. We need to talk about this. We need to work through it because it took a toll on us. So we talked about how we felt about that situation, how we felt now, whether we felt okay moving on. And then at the end of that conversation, he had us all find a rock. And everyone roamed around and we found a rock. And he told us to take all of the emotional feelings, all of the all of the sadness and the feelings of of guilt and feelings of, of uh, powerlessness and sort of concentrate them into this rock and then walk to the edge of the lake when we're ready and chuck it in the lake and get rid of it. What happened on the rest of the trip? After that moment, the trip went pretty well, pretty smoothly. On the last day, Greg's group finished dinner, packed up, and they headed back to the trailhead in the gathering darkness. By the time we passed the lake that we knew that that guy was in, um, it was completely dark. And there was enough moonlight that we could walk by the light of the moon and the light of the stars. And we walked by that super eerie lake knowing that there was a good chance that he was still in there. We figured the chances of, of a 
regular team getting him out was small, that a helicopter was probably needed to survey it. And we hadn't heard rotor blades, so we kind of assumed. What did you feel when you were walking around that lake? Like, what was going through your head? When you're in the mountains in really high, dangerous places, you have these feelings that um, that you're insignificant, that the mountains don't care about you. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about it is that that's what I love the most about being in high, scary, amazing places is that they're ambivalent. It's not that they want to hurt you. It's that they don't care. And I think being in that situation, walking around that lake makes you feel that in such a deep way that the place is so powerful and it can take things away from you in an instant. Several of us in that group stayed relatively close. I think it cemented a bond between many of us, and we held on to it pretty well. I remember there was a time when I was sitting next to somebody, somebody else who was on that same trip, and we were both on a couch watching some people play um, ping pong, and uh, there was this moment between us where he kind of mentioned it and I kind of responded and we had this moment of recognition where we don't really need to talk about it right now. (laughs) We'll just leave it. We'll leave it as it is and let it be what it is. Did you ever find out what happened to the woman? I don't know what happened to her. I wish that I did, actually. Um, I would love to know how that feels now and, and what her perspective of that situation was, but I don't know. Do you ever think about her? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially when I'm in that area or just the mountains of Colorado. Um, I wonder where she is and how she's doing and and whether she got the kind of support that she needs because I don't, I I really don't know. Our storyteller was outdoor educator Greg Lay. If you have a story to tell, get in touch through our website, humannaturepodcast.org. I'm Caroline Ballard. The show is produced by Aaron Jones and Ryan Oberhelman. Anna Rader is our digital producer. Our senior producer is Micah Schweitzer. The theme song is by Cotta Ghost. Human Nature is a production of Wyoming Public Media. It's human nature.